Hey there. If you like this podcast, you are going to love my new book, Needy, How to Advocate for Your Needs and Reclaim Your Sovereignty. In Needy, I share my unique approach to identifying, honoring, and advocating for the most tender and true parts of yourself that are yearning to be acknowledged. It is an invitation to embody self-acceptance, which leads to meaningful growth in self-responsibility, self-care, self-trust, and self-love. All of the themes that we talk about all of the time on this podcast. Woven with threads of timeless wisdom, honest assessments of our needs, and heartfelt personal stories of transformation from yours truly and others, Needy illustrates a profound vision for what is possible when you listen to the stirrings of your heart and reclaim your undisputed sovereignty in your life. Now, you can get Needy wherever books are sold, but if you are a podcast super fan, you might appreciate the audiobook, which I do narrate, which you can find on Audible. Now on to today's show. It's your host, Mara Glatzel, and you are listening to The Needy Podcast. Here at Needy, we are devoted to sharing frank conversations and true stories about what it means to meet your needs consistently, messily, and sustainably. To get more information about today's episode, please visit theneedypodcast.com. Now, on to today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Knee Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about my, uh, <laughs> I was about to say one of my favorite topics, but the truth is it is one of my least favorite experiences. It's something that I've really been not just struggling with, but like <laughs> just really bowled over by over the course of the last year. Although if I trace it back, I can definitely see the roots of this unraveling coming at earlier stages. And you'll understand what I mean when I dive into it. But um, it is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think there is so much freedom and so much spaciousness once we begin to divest from some of the ways that we are um, keeping ourselves closed off, uh, the places where we might be telling ourselves, yeah, sure, that whole humanity thing is good and well for all those other people, but not for me, right? That terminal specialness of I am somehow other than what I would wish for for other people. So what we're specifically talking about today is the way that perfection and perfectionism becomes interwoven with professionalism. And basically this uh, white supremacist capitalist idea, patriarchal idea, that um, showing up and doing a good job looks a certain way and success looks a certain way and that those definitions are by nature at odds with our needy, sweaty, bloody little human selves. This is a topic that is inherently important for us. And, you know, I've been cracking up lately because there's this kind of overwhelming conversation happening right now about quiet quitting, which 
I am laughing personally because this is something that I have been telling people to do and coaching people to do for well over a decade. Um, but I obviously needed a really cute name for it. I love the idea of quiet quitting and not just quiet quitting our jobs, but also facets of our relationships, anything that we might be doing in a way that we're holding ourselves to an unmeetable standard or expectation. So back to perfection and professionalism. The the way that this has shown up for me over the course of my life is that what it means to do a good job is to be perfectly prepared, kind of like well quaffed when you arrive for the gig, uh, having been well rested, you know, having that being well resourced, having that presence of mind. You'll see a lot of people who are doing similar kinds of work on social media, talking a lot about being well-resourced before you do something, filling your own cup before you uh, serve others. And those are all ideas that I believe in. You know, I, I was conditioned in this society to see doing a good job in a certain way, to define success in a certain way, in a very narrow scope. And the less I'm able to meet those definitions, the more over the course of the last year that I have been calling them into question. Because what does it mean to carry a definition of doing a good job that you couldn't possibly meet that couldn't possibly include you? What does it mean to carry a definition of success that you don't actually want that doesn't actually resonate with you? And so in today's episode, we are going to kind of pull apart that terminal specialness where even when we might be buying into these ideas like, yes, human first, yes, more spacious rest, yes, needs, yes, uh, all of the things, yes, yes, yes. Um, but secretly, secretly saying, but not you, Mara, you have to be better than that. You have to be more put together than that. You have to be somehow other than you are. And so you're a failure, right? And, you know, I've been talking about this a lot this season, how our best and most creative efforts are held hostage by these ideas of perfectionism and how if it has to be perfect in order for us to do it, then we're never going to do it. But if we relax some of those expectations, then we may be able to create something magnificent. But for this case in particular, I want to talk a little bit about what has been going on in my life over the course of the last year, because this feels like a specific kind of trial that was custom tailored to, for me. I don't know if you guys watched The Good Place, but it's like, this is, a, I have been in a very specifically tailored bad place scenario uh, for my own brand of, um, of perfectionism. And so I have been asked slash forced uh, by my life to contend with these issues in a very real way over the course of the last months. So, um, I've talked about this before, but, um, over the course of the last year, my partner has been the, um, primary caregiver for a friend of theirs who is significantly ill. And much of that work had them living outside of our home. And I was at home with my two kids who are six and three. 
And during that time um, of being their sole care provider, also, you know, the person who runs everything in my house and make sure that, you know, all of the things, both physical labor, emotional labor, um, all of those things are well tended to. That was all me. In addition to which, I have been working on my book, which is now close enough that it is available for pre-order anywhere that you buy books, which is pretty exciting. So if you want to get your hands on Needy ASAP, dance on over and and Google me up and find a place to scoop up your pre-ordered copy. That would be fabulous. But while I've been working on this book, the only way that I have been able to produce is really kind of by the skin of my teeth. And that has meant that I have had to contend with these ideas of what does it mean to have this opportunity uh, to write this book? And, you know, this has been a dream of mine for my entire life. And here I am three years in the making, having gone through, you know, multiple editing rounds over the last couple of months. And each of those times, once I had covid Another time, my partner almost inconceivably had to uh, leave us overnight, and I was, you know, stuck without any childcare during the summer when there's also no school and a big deadline. And so, this biggest work, most exciting work of my life, was being done in in the night after I had been with my kids all day for twelve hours and gotten my kids to bed. And for those of you who have kids, you understand you know, how challenging it is to put two brain cells together. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, be the final word on these edits. And the pressure of that was a thing. But you know, the real thing of it was the expectations that I had of myself of what it meant to do a good job. And how If I were to get really honest with myself, the conversation that I was having around what a good job looked like didn't leave room for me as I was, for my humanity, for the circumstances of my life. Beyond that, it was an example of productivity that, if we look at it in patriarchal terms, is rooted in what a white man is able to produce who has a wife at home who takes care of all of his things for him. And so even summer, right, I have so many beloved teachers in my life, and I'm so glad that they get to have a break in the summer. I think that, you know, the work that teachers do during the school year is incredible and challenging. And I am so happy for anyone who gets to have any bit of break from that so that it becomes even just a little bit more sustainable. And also, even the way that the year is set up, that there are these three months where your kids are home and you may or may not have access to childcare. You may or may not have access to extracurricular activities. You may or may not feel safe in a pandemic accessing either of those things, even if you have the resources to provide them for you. So the way that this whole thing is set up is that there is a wife and a mother at home who does that caretaking during the summer months when, you know, presumably somebody's working and that's the dude. So I have no dudes in my life. (laughs) 
Um, and, you know, during this, this summer season, I at many times was the only adult in my home doing all of the things myself while also running my business, while also working on this book. And beyond just that, you know, while also cooking all of the meals and staying up with my kids, sometimes one, then the other, then the other, then the other, then the other all night long. And the actual brain space that I had available for me, for my book, for my calls with my clients, for my work was less. I was less resourced than I have been at other times in my life, certainly. And it is incredibly challenging not to um, get lost in the discomfort of that gap between what you expect of yourselves and what you are humanely able to provide. And beyond just discomfort, I think that the reason I wanted to navigate this conversation today is because of how much shame is in there, how much shame exists in, am I squandering this opportunity Am I taking good enough care of myself to deserve what I have, um, to be able to do a good job for a job that I care about so, so incredibly much that, you know, I'm about to be full-time 10 years in my business. I care deeply about the work that I do. And so it has felt many times over the course of the last year, lousy to not have more to offer it. And... Also, I've been calling bullshit on some of these ideas in the privacy of my own mind because I'm able to see how this chokehold of perfectionism has snuck in here. And if left untended to, it has the capacity to choke my most beautiful and desired contributions. So, I was in my front yard at my gate talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she said something to the effect of, you know, I saw your book was open for pre-order and congratulations. And, you know, I'm so excited for you. And I can't even believe that you were able to, to create this during this. I mean, the year that you've had this year, certainly, but the years prior, um, I just, it's just astounding that you were able to do this. And, Hearing her say that unlocked something in me that I think I had been carrying for quite some time. And that was this belief that I could have and I should have done better. That I could have or should have somehow written a better book. And that part of me that knew, you know, if I did, if I lived in an isolation chamber and I had nothing but time and space available to me, And I wasn't using some of my vital creative effort to raise my children and feed myself and feed the things that give me joy and pleasure outside of my work. Then, yeah, I mean, could it have been better? I think better is relative. Could it have been more perfect by literary definition that I was taught? Yeah, certainly. But I couldn't have written it any differently. I couldn't have done more. I couldn't have met those expectations. I couldn't have met those stakes. 
And if that was the litmus, that was what was required of me in order to put this book out into the world, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And if we expand out from there, you know, my work with my clients, my work in my courses, all of the ways that I teach and lead and guide and share, if perfection were necessary, I, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it. And there's a huge loss to that. That would mean no one will be able to read my words. That would mean no one will be able to take my classes or work with me one-on-one. That would mean none of this existed. Right? I brought my podcast during this time. Um, part of the reason the podcast was on hiatus for so long was because I was grappling with my own understanding of how to do this perfectly. And if I couldn't do it perfectly, I didn't want to do it at all. And so we can see how our perfectionism leeches in and holds those contributions hostage. And the very premise of what our ideas of doing good work, being worthy, being successful are built on these outdated models and power structures that center something I don't honestly want to be a part of. I don't want to judge myself against a white man's ideal. I don't want to hold myself unjustly accountable to a standard that wouldn't enable me to be a a mother to my children, to be flexible, to give care and to support the people who are around me, to, to not just be working all of the time, but to also enjoy my life, to be asking these questions of who and what is my life for. I recently was talking to somebody about my business and he was kind of like asking me numbers like, oh, how many hours a week do you work? Oh, how much money do you make? Oh, wow. So if you, you know, I work about 20 hours a week. Uh, If you worked 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week, imagine what would happen to your income. And I couldn't make him understand that I don't want to work 40 or 60 hours a week. Now, a caveat. There are times, certainly recently with the book, also with Permission Loves Company, this big project that I'm creating for the fall, uh, where I have worked 40 hours a week. But by and large, my desire is to work while my kids are in school and to be off when they're not and to be living my life and to have part of the benefit be the time and space that my business allots me. You know, I see that as value, um, different certainly than the financial gains and rewards of this business, but valuable nonetheless. And so it made me laugh that, you know, he immediately thought, oh, well, you know, if you do this much more, then you'll make that much more money. And I was like, well, I don't want to make more money. I don't need to make more money. I don't want to live that way. And so even as I was cognizant of my own my own definition of success, which includes time and space, includes what I need to be able to create in as best and most enjoyable way possible to serve my clients in a way that doesn't deplete me completely, to parent my kids in a way that has me, you know, generally resourced and uh, well-equipped to handle the one million mama, mama, mamas all day long. And so 
even while I had been creating this new vision of what definitions of good work, hard work, success would look like for me, I was noticing where this perfectionism had snuck in and where I was feeling ashamed for not being able to meet those expectations that I had been conditioned to hold. So I recently taught a workshop about burnout. And what was hilarious about that workshop about burnout was that I was pretty burnt out when I ran it. And um, I remember thinking afterwards, how, you know, the audacity, (laughs) the audacity of a person to teach a class on burnout when they themselves are feeling burnt out and sort of just kind of over the course of the couple weeks that I was uh, sharing (laughs) that, that, that workshop was coming up, just kind of wrestling with that, like, who am I to teach this workshop? But What I realized was, first of all, burnout's not a moral failing. So, you know, the point of this work, the point of that workshop, the point of all of my work is not to never become burnt out again, because there are times that are deeply stressful. There are moments that we really struggle with the grief that we're carrying with, gosh, just life circumstances. Things happen. And so, you know, that idea that it's bad to be burnt out, but it is good to be not burnt out, again, is kind of a bullshit concept just to begin with. And part of my work is to teach people that when we build a relationship with our bodies, we can have this more nuanced and generous understanding of what we need to, yes, certainly be less burnt out in the future, absolutely, but to care for ourselves when burnout arrives on our doorstep. So here I was, relatively crispy, mid-August, having been, you know, 24-7 alone with my kids for three weeks plus. And um, I just have this thought, like the audacity of teaching this workshop. But what was so powerful about that workshop and about that time was that I was being forced to really use my tools in a way that was incredibly powerful for me personally, because, you know, it offers you this intricate understanding of, wow, these practices really do work. And I've worked with enough people to know that they don't just work for me, that they work for other people as well. And that um, over the course of our lives, we vacillate in terms of what we need and when, and there are times of higher needs and times where we're able to kind of batten down the hatches and like get stuff done and that it's more of a dance than it is a a destination where you're like, oh, I'm going to get to there, the land of being in perfect whatever until the end of time. That doesn't exist. Sorry if you're looking for that. You're not going to find it here. Um, And not because I don't want it to, but because it does not exist. And so what are we left with instead? We're left with this audacious tenacity of being our authentic selves and showing up as we are for the things that we care about and doing as best a job as we can, which is different than doing the best job or hitting a a standard or expectation set out by somebody else. 
and providing these models of, you know, Laverne Cox talks about possibility models. And, you know, each and every time I think about that a lot, each and every time I go out to teach and I say, you know, I'm feeling a little scattered today. My kid was up all night last night, teething or sick. And, um, you know, I'm here in front of you and I'm just going to do the best that I can. Every time I allow myself to be authentic in that way, and I just want to caveat to say that, you know, authenticity has become such a buzzword and by and large, it's a little bit nauseating, but I am using it here because this is the right word for the job. Um, so, you know, whenever I allow my authentic self, the fullest expression of myself to be present in front of other people, in front of a group of other people, the message that I am quietly delivering is I think that I'm valuable enough in my imperfection to be worthy of your time and your energy and your attention. And that's a struggle for me, but it's a good struggle. It stretches me in ways that feel so profoundly uncomfortable, but I have learned that being uncomfortable does not mean that I need to quit. doesn't mean that I'm doing a bad job. It just means, look, here I am up against this rule that I've told myself that if I'm going to teach a class, I have to have a good night's sleep and a perfect breakfast and, you know, two hours of meditation and my walk and all of these things, all of my ducks just lined up in a row, that, 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 that. And if I don't have those things, then I'm not as valuable or as worthy as if I do. But when we allow our fullest expression of self to be seen, when we say, hey, you know, I'm a parent or I'm chronically ill or I'm a caregiver or, you know, I'm, I'm having an experience that is stretching me and changing me and forcing me to show up in a way that's really different than I may have been taught is right and good. There is such a profound value, not just your inner self, um, though that is certainly valuable, but for everyone else who gets to bear witness. And so when I set a boundary, when I ask for what I need, when I have to change something in my calendar because I don't have childcare, when I, you know, feel more scattered than I would like before I start something, when, you know, I complete the edits for my book in the, the tiny minutes between everything, doing the best that I can and letting other people see me, reinforcing for myself, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough. And how do I know that it's enough? Because it is all that I am capable of, genuinely. And not like all that I'm capable of, as in flatten myself out completely, give myself nothing, treat myself horribly, beat myself up. But it's all I'm sustainably capable of. It's all I'm willing to give without going into enormous energetic debt borrowing against myself was a surefire path to burnout. So this audacity of being who and how you are out loud and in front of other people. And to regard yourself as being worthy of that, to craft your own definition of hard work, craft your own definition of success and live in accordance to that instead of 
paying homage to this ideal that you were socialized to carry that was created in a world that was never going to be for you ever. So what does that feel like? I mean, it feels uncomfortable for sure. <laughs> We've mentioned it, it targets that shame place, but there's also incredible freedom that's possible when you free yourself from the rules that you've been telling yourself about who and how you have to be in order to be worthy and give yourself permission to be who and how you actually are. And I don't know about you, but I am much more interested in hearing from those people. You may feel soothed and safe by interfacing with somebody who, you know, has it all together. Um, there may be a part of you that finds this whole conversation a little bit hard to swallow in, you know, absolute transparency. There's a part of me that's like, don't tell people that you finished this book on like a wish and a prayer. You know, they're not going to think it's any good. They're not going to buy it because they're going to think like you didn't put your best effort into it. Hear me when I tell you, hear me when I tell myself, you put your best effort into it. And that is different than being perfect or doing it perfectly. Perfect was never an option for me. It was just this ideal out there in the sky that I was using to beat myself up about and feel horrible about. It was never something that I was actually going to be able to uh, embody. And instead, what's available is doing the best I can. And that is doing the best I can. And, you know, not just doing the best I can, because there are times in my life where I, you know, it's very, it varies what our quote unquote best looks like, but doing the best that we can in that time, in that place, in that space, under those life circumstances, that we're not afraid to be seen as being imperfect in order to bring our visions and our, our dreams to fruition. It takes no small amount of bravery to show up each day and say, self, I hear you telling me it's not enough. I hear you telling me it's not good enough. I hear you telling me that I should, you know, pack this up, put it away, never let anyone see it, but I'm not going to do that. And here's why. And so what's possible for you on the other side of it is this incredible freedom, this openness of knowing that you are the person who defines your value. It's my job to write that book. It's my job to do my best. It's my job to teach that class. It's my job to show up for that call. And there is value in letting myself be seen in process even if it's uncomfortable, because I, like you, have been taught that nobody wants to see that, that my messiness devalues me, that I'm never going to succeed in the world if I don't play by their rules. But what's happened to me over the course of the last year that I think has been the most grating is I have not had the capacity to play by their rules. And so what's available for you on the other side of that? And there have been a couple of moments for me like this. You know, after both of my kids were born, while I was struggling with postpartum mood issues, 
when I broke my ankle, shattered my ankle, was non-weight-bearing for six months and pretty deeply depressed. You know, there have been these times where life presses you to the edges and you quite literally cannot do the things that you once did to present that curated version of yourself to the world around you. And I think those moments can be so scary and there can be so much shame wrapped up in it. But I wanted to record this podcast for that version of you. So, you know, keep this tucked in your back pocket for when that moment comes and hear me when I say that we still want you, we being the world, we still want you. We're still interested in your best, even if it's not perfect. We're still interested in what you have to offer, even if it's overwhelming and vulnerable to share it, knowing that there's a part of you that's conditioned to believe that it could and should be better. When we think about why we perfect ourselves in order to belong, in order to meet our need for safety, in order to control our messy and real humanity, or feed the illusion that we can control it because we can't. We have this belief that if we can just perfect ourselves, then things will be easier. We'll be able to keep ourselves safe. We'll be able to belong, but on our own terms, right? We'll be able to be the version of us that other people want instead of the version of us that we are on any given day. And we imagine that this perfectionism is going to get us closer to other people. If this is is in a relational perspective, we think it's going to get us closer to that person we want to be in relationship with. If it's in a professional perspective, we think it's going to get us closer to that end game, to that success point that we're working towards. But that perfectionism keeps us lonely, keeps us isolated and separate, keeps us other. So if what we really want is to belong, that perfection keeps us from the emotional intimacy that we're aching for from being seen, from being known, from being cherished. And so I'm not saying that any of this is easy because it's not. It takes a lot of bravery, a lot of tenacity, as I said before, a lot of vulnerability. But what we get for that relentless tenacity is the freedom of knowing that Our only job is to do our best, our best, the best that we can with the tools that we have on hand at the time, not the capital T-H-E best, capital B, but our best in that moment. And not only is that good and worthy enough, but when we allow ourselves to be seen in that space, we give other people permission to do the same. Thanks for listening to the needy podcast with Mara Glatzel. If you'd like my support and learning how to nourish your needs, dance on over to the needypodcast.com. If you love today's episode, pretty please leave us a review on iTunes and join us next week. 
and as always, permission loves company. So if there's a human in your life that you think can benefit from this conversation, I would be so grateful if you shared it with them. Thank you. Thank you.